Welcome to Set on Sunday, a podcast by Kellyville Anglican where we talk about what was said on Sunday or even what we didn't have time to say on Sunday. We are passionate about being deep in the Word of God and doing life together in community. So thanks for letting us into your week as we learn more about Jesus together. Here's today's episode. Hello everyone, my name's Beck, and I'm the host of the Set on Sunday podcast and it is a great pleasure to be joining you again today as we continue our series in 1 Corinthians. Today with me is James. Hi James. Hello Beck. Welcome back to the microphone. Thank you. I had a nice uh, break last week. Well, that's good. Yeah, I just got <laughs> to mix and let you and Dave chat it out. It was great. There you go. And then you'd say things to me and go, oh yeah, that's right, you don't have a mic. <laughs> so I felt a little bit hamstrung. So I put one back in front of my mouth this week, but uh, I just actually have well. to, well, yeah. <laughs> and um, given that I preached on Sunday, I probably should try and answer these questions that I ask people to stump me with. So um, <laughs> that's why I've got the other guys with me here too. Hey, Nathan. <laughs> hey, hey, it's good to be here. You, Thank you. We can't stump James. You can't stump James. Oh, I, I reckon you can, mate. Okay. We'll He'll see. just get his crickets out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got my sounds. I definitely turned it on. And Dave, mate? Yeah, I'm just craving some pastries, actually. I think... Uh, <laughs> why? True. True. That was so random. Mm, yeah. I, 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 yeah. Did you not have breakfast? Well, Do I you want to go to the kitchen, bro? <laughs> There's nothing there. I sure. before. <laughs> All right, well, like, just... On, on that note, reel it in. <laughs> Sorry, we should bring it back to back. She's in charge here. She's in charge. Indeed I am. All right, James, tell us what you preached about on Sunday. All righty. Uh, so we unpacked 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through to 2.5, and we were looking at the foolishness of the cross. Uh, and so we sort of unpacked that a little bit uh, and why Paul said that and why people would think that the cross is foolish, given the wisdom of the church in Corinth and the surrounding people there. And so we unpacked the wisdom of the world, um, what Paul has to say about that, and also the wisdom of God's Word and how we can understand God's Word through the power of the Spirit. So that's sort of where we landed on Sunday. Mm, Okay, so we've got lots of questions about wisdom and foolishness and all of that. So I hope we're all feeling wise. Um, Let's have a look at the passage first. There were a few questions specifically about some different verses, so I thought we would talk about those first. Um, so the first question was about um, chapter 2, verse 2. What does a church look like that lives out chapter 2, verse 2, which says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Yeah, I'll jump in. So uh, I would say, just in brief, a church that has the cross of Christ at the centre of its preaching. Um, a church that preaches the word of God, that its basis is on the word. Um, you know, there are churches where that is not necessarily the case and they can kind of cherry pick and had a prime example of that. I think the other week when I preached on one verse and some of the misconceptions that mm. came um, from the fact that I didn't preach from the whole passage itself. And so I think for us, uh, a church that is fulfilling to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified is putting everything back to Jesus. And so I sort of spoke about it with larger churches and even smaller churches, um, and I can't claim this. I don't know which commentary it was from. It might have been Carson. Um, but what you draw people to, is oh, sorry, what you draw them with is what you draw them to. Mm-hmm. And so if the cross is not the centre of your church, then what are you drawing them to? You know, mm. you can have flashy preaching, nice lights, all that kind of stuff. And all that's there to support the main gospel message, and that's Jesus Christ and him crucified. But if that becomes more important than the cross, then I think that's where problems arise. And I think that's what Paul's getting at. It's like, nah, it's all about Jesus. It's all about the cross. And we need to make sure that we're doing that as a church. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm. I think and a subtle trap that uh, Kirsten and I found ourselves in, had to pull ourselves out, was... um. 
we'd drive home from church and um, the conversation would be, how was church? And we go, oh yeah, the MC had a good vibe. The preacher spoke <laughs> well, the band sounded good and um, all great things. But um, the conversation wasn't, I really learned this from the text and mm. I'm going to apply this to my life. It was sort of, how's the vibe in the room? And did everyone at the front do a good job? Mm. Um, which are nice, but yeah, I think a cross and the churches, how amazing is Jesus? Like how, how, yeah. how awesome is the grace of God? Uh, here's how I can apply, you know, uh, God's word to my life in, in light of what we just heard about Jesus. So mm. uh, I think a subtle thing that we can fall for the trap of, uh, is this when we re- like, yeah, a, a church that's all about Christ. And what, what do you talk about when you review mm-hmm. church with your family? Was it the vibes at the front? Was it the sound of the band or is it how awesome is Jesus? And here's what I learned from his word and here's what I want to do this week. So that was, I remember mm-hmm. that was a trap that we were enjoying church, but we weren't sort <laughs> of enjoying Christ as much as we should have. So, um, yeah, that's a trap. I remember I'm trying to be more analytical and reflecting on services, but getting to reflect on Christ. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Christ needs to be at the mm-hmm. center of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, I think churches can be about lots of things. Uh, and uh, I think what Paul does for the Corinthians here is super helpful for us. He just, you know, to bottle church to a sentence, you know, to resolve to know nothing amongst you except, you know, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, it just puts that centrality of what church needs to be on about uh, and there's all sorts of things that flow out of the periphery or out of that. Like mm. he's, he's not saying we don't care for anyone. He's not saying there's no place for, you know, social justice stuff. But what he's doing is anchoring the centre and saying this is what churches need to be about. Uh, and I think if you don't put that at the centre, you get lost. Uh, you, mm-hmm. you know, you, the anchor sort of you know, comes up from the boat and you can drift. Uh, and so for the Corinthians and I think for us, um, yeah, we, we need to keep that being at the very centre. Mm. And I think like following on into the coming week when I'm preaching, um, that what he's getting at here is really important to set up the next chapter uh, about, you know, church and its leadership and what is your faith built upon? Um, and so we're going to unpack a little bit more about that. But I think understanding the context of where, how it all flows together is really mm. important for that as well. Mm. I think the other thing is... Um, uh, to preach Christ and him crucified, I think it actually does also encapsulate some of those practical things because we're called to live a life of humility as Christ lived, um, the epitome of which is the cross. So when it comes to um, putting others first and loving each other and serving each other, that's actually living out Christ crucified in a practical way. Mm-hmm. So there's those two mm-hmm. factors. There's uh, the knowledge of of Christ on the cross and, and what that does spiritually, but it's also transforms our very lives um, as we live out Christ crucified as well as a church. All right, next question. Um, We're moving to chapter 2, verse 13 now. Um, And the question is, what does spirit-taught words mean? Is that a lesson from the spirit or actual words, phrases given by the spirit? I might just read what 2.13 actually says. Just flick my paper around here. Uh, 2.13 says, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit taught words. What does that mean? 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All scripture is God breathed. Um, We believe that the Holy Spirit has inspired the scriptures. And I think uh, that's what Paul's getting at, that the words that are in the Old Testament for them at the time and as some of the new books were being written at the time of Paul, 
uh, that the words that are being written, the letters are all being inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, and for us, for us to be able to understand them, um, Jesus says this in John 14, uh, that he will send an advocate, the Holy Spirit. Um, and it says here that the Father will send in my name to teach you all things and will remind you everything that I have said to you. And so for us that are Christians and, and believe um, we're filled with the Holy Spirit and as we read God's word, the Spirit of God speaks to us through his word. And mm-hmm. I think that's what Paul's trying to encapsulate here is that they're the spiritual things that are being taught to us as believers. Because um, a non-Christian could read the Old Testament and, and make nothing of it. They could see it as facts and a recount. But for mm-hmm. us that see it, we see that that is the wisdom and the power of God uh, mm-hmm. at work in our lives and in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that would be my take on that. I'm wondering whether the question um, is also asking like, like your sermon on Sunday, for example, mm. were they spirit taught words uh, mm. or is it only the scriptures that are spirit taught words? So I think that, or like, what do you, what do you reckon about that? Cause I think that might be where the, like, are we only meant to quote scripture to each other or can we have spirit taught words that aren't? Scripture yeah, well, like we, we're, we're, everything we preach is based in the Bible. Mm. Uh, it's never my opinion. I don't get up there and go, James thinks this or James thinks that. Uh, I'm yeah. doing my best to... Unless you're talking about the book of James. Yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but then I'm not talking about myself in the third yeah. person. I'm speaking <laughs> yeah. of James himself. Yeah. Uh, but as we write and as, as we prepare um, Sunday in general, um, we believe that the Spirit is in at work. Uh, in, in us and, and as we put together um, songs and pick them, uh, as we put together our sermons, um, God is at work in us as we prepare what we're going to bring to uh, to the church. And so um, what I'm saying is, is not necessarily God's word coming from me, but rather I'm doing my best uh, to exposit God's word as it has been given to us through the Spirit and through those that uh, God had appointed um, to write the words uh, that we, we preach. Um, Dave? Yeah, look, I think um, the the context of what's going on here in chapter 2 is uh, Paul's making a comparison as he's going through uh, from verse sort of 9 through to 15 uh, between the spirit uh, and what's going on there and human wisdom. Uh, So verse 10, the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? And then he, you know, then the comparison in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And at that point, well, how do we, you know, access the sort of Spirit of God? Well, what we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Uh, and then he just, you know, that, and then he hits verse 13. So this is what we speak. Uh, you know, Spirit taught words. He's just making that comparison between that sort of human speech and, you know, spirit speech because that's that's what has been revealed to us uh through the spirit is you know what god wants us to do that's the spirit sort of taught words uh that's the sort of you know backwards and forwards he seems to be doing Mm -hmm. through that particular section so it's not actual words or phrases that the spirit is audibly feeding into your ears that you're then like preaching out it's the the gospel message i think so yeah Mm. yeah um, because, you know, you go back to verse 9, uh, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. As in, mm-hmm. you know, the gospel that was kept hidden, uh, it's now revealed, it's out there. Uh, and, and we have the joy of knowing that the spirit of God uh, wants and, you know, has declared and revealed to us. Uh, let's use, that's the spirit taught words. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, that's how I understand it. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. 
All right, let's move on to chapter 2, verse 15, um, which says, The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. What does that mean? Context is key. <laughs> As Dave just read to us from the earlier passages, I think that really sort of helps unpack that. If you read it on the on its own, um, then yeah, you could it's tricky. very much go, well then, who am I to submit to? Like I, I, I am filled with the Spirit and those that aren't, well, you know, go away. Like I can do as I please. <laughs> yeah. And so Paul sort of pushes against that in the book of Romans. Um, you know, with governing authorities, he speaks there from uh, chapter 13. But in the context of, of this, uh, it's very much that if we've just talked about, and well, Paul's just spoken about the idea of us that are filled with the Spirit, can understand Spirit um, things, then how can those that aren't understand or make judgment about those things? And so those without the Spirit um, will not be able to make judgments because they, they're not filled with the Spirit. They don't understand that. And so mm-hmm. that'd probably be my little two cents, Dave. No? I was going to drive 80 in a 50 zone and then when the cop pulled me over, go, mate, <laughs> read Corinthians, mate, you don't get to judge me. Yeah, yeah. No, no, the spirit told you to drive yeah. an 80. <laughs> that's, that's right, that's right. All right Commute mate. was going to be twice as fast. Yeah, let, us, no. let us know how that goes. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I'll pick you up. Yeah, You're not too right. far away from my house. <laughs> no, no, I think that's helpful. Yeah, I think that's right. It's, a, it's about spiritual matters. And mm. so, yes, no, we're still very much, uh, and it would... And we, yeah, other humans can judge us, especially when it comes to the law and stuff like that. Mm. And, and Paul and other letters, I think Romans 13 and 14 sort of submit to the governing authorities. Mm. And so, yeah, no, we do sub- willingly submit ourselves to other people's judgment uh, mm. in the legal and earthly realm here. Uh, and yet, yeah, on spiritual matters, um, yeah, people who don't have the spirit. They're not going to understand yeah, because right. they don't have the things of God yes. revealed. Yes. I was trying to think of what a practical example might look like um, to help understand and I'll share one with you and tell me if you think I'm um, on the wrong track. Um, but I was thinking like maybe someone who has um, like left a career in like a really great profession by the world standards to go and be a missionary and, and serve the poor, the world might say, what are you doing that for um, potentially? Um, whereas they don't have the wisdom of the cross that we have to um, – I don't know. Do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah. Yeah. Like, why did Nathan leave accounting? He was smashing it. Accounting sounds so fun. Then, too. To, then to go take an apprenticeship and get paid nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the wisdom in that, yeah. mate? No, there is. Yeah. Like at college, there's a lot of that. Mm. So physios, lawyers, mm. um, accountants. Yeah. Where you're going? What are you doing? Like, this is a pretty cushy, safe industry mm. uh, where life's got a pretty clear cut path for you. Like, mm. why are you going into ministry? And, and if you're not a Christian, you don't see any value in ministry either. So it's sort mm. of like you're doing like but even uh, even the story heard at night church you know we're interviewing a scripture teacher who uh, was was working but you know organized their day uh, so that they could teach scripture mm. you know what, what, why would you why would you put that pressure on yourself mm. um, you know so you, you've got those sort of things going through there's quite the extraordinary statement I think he finishes in chapter two you know, that where he says but we have the mind of Christ mm. it's just such an extraordinary statement mm. Um yeah, I, it, any, any every time I've come to it, I'm like, wow, like that's just a huge thing. Mm. Um, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I reckon there'd be a lot to unpack there as well, um, which we won't do now. <laughs> let's move on. Um, it's another one of those, let's do a podcast about that one day, Christians. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> All right, let's talk about wisdom and the world. Um, so, James, you talked a lot in your sermon about the wisdom of the world. And someone has asked, is there anything wise in the world or is it all foolish? 
I guess it comes back to what's your definition of wisdom mm-hmm. and what's Paul saying is true wisdom. So uh, I looked up the Oxford Dictionary and went, what's the, what's the word wisdom mean? Uh, and it said the ability to make sensible decisions and give good advice because of the experience and knowledge that you have uh, versus the, uh, d- the definition that I gave for biblical wisdom, which is the proficient application of biblical principles to one's life resulting from a Godward heart orientation. So in the context of the world, you would look and go, well, all these people out there that seem wise, um, where, where do they draw their wisdom from? And so for me, I was thinking about that and going, well, look, there's plenty of smart people in the world doing brilliant things, mm-hmm. um, doing amazing stuff, uh, scientists, medical field people, all that kind of jazz. But it doesn't necessarily mean they're wise. They're just very skillful at their job. Um, and so I would say that wisdom in the world... I would struggle to say, yes, that is there anything wise in the world unless it stems from the Bible because wisdom is God's word and living that out. So that's my take. Feel yeah. free to push back. Yeah, I think it's like it's sort of like the question before. It's sort of like what realm are we talking about? Mm. So are you going to learn uh, spiritual, true, godly wisdom from the world? No. But are you gonna, can you learn wisdom that's useful for the here and now from the world? Yes, like mm. in terms of... Um, like even from like Proverbs, like it says, look at animals, <laughs> look at ants. You know, they said they're weak as anything, but they store up food for the summer. That's pretty clever. And mm-hmm. look at rock badgers; they're tiny, but they have the strongest houses alive because they put rocks around them. Anyway, so like, yeah, we can um, um, borrow things from animals. We can borrow things from other humans that uh, in the earthly realm, like the parable of um, the shrewd manager in uh, mm-hmm. Luke sixteen. And he sort of says, um, you know, non-Christians are generally better at dealing with. <laughs> worldly people and making friends so you know you can learn from them um but yeah in terms of again sort of like our last question in the spiritual realm true wisdom the ultimate wisdom that really matters no you're not going to get much help from the world mm. but in terms of just practical things for day-to-day living here and now and and you know self-help books and all sorts of different things mm. um yeah you can learn some things but just not things that are going to be of eternal value yeah yeah there's inherent wisdom built into the created order mm. as in God has not made a world uh, that is disordered, uh, that has no rhyme or reason to it. Mm. And so I think when you look at creation, and I think this is what the people in Proverbs are doing, they're looking uh, you know, and experiencing the world, you know, and yes, they're short, pithy statements that you know, pick up on a whole bunch of animals and experiences. Uh, sometimes they're contradictory you know, based on experience, which is always interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, so... Yes, I think you'd want to say there is wisdom in the world, but it's God-given. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and people and Christians and non-Christians experience that. We, we're all living in the same, the same world that God has made, uh, and we, you know, we have different experiences of it, um, but there's wisdom stitched into it. Um, you know, and the ultimate you know, revelation of the wisdom of God is Jesus himself, mm-hmm. uh, which you know, comes out in different places in the New Testament. Um, so, yeah, I think I'd want to say that there are some wise things, but it sort of just carries on from what James is saying in terms of the, the biblical aspect um, that comes from it. Mm, but I think this links pretty nicely to our next question, which is how does this passage sermon um, apply to how we look at university degrees and higher education? If the world's wisdom is folly, should we be pursuing worldly knowledge or studying things like philosophy? And I think that resonates with what you were just saying, Dave, um, about the inherent order in our creation and um, exploring God's world. I don't think that's a foolish endeavour. Yeah, what do you think, James? 
I did a quick Google on this one to see what someone else had to say. Um, yeah. <laughs> Better than chatbot, mate. <laughs> well done. <laughs> I may have used that for one of them. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You'd never know. Uh, no, there was a great article by the Gospel Coalition about whether Christians should study philosophy. And there were kind of three things that they sort of picked up on. And, and I'll link the article in the show notes. But um, th- the first bit was sort of everyone has a philosophy, um, you know, in the sense of having a worldview. Um, and so I think that's just naturally going to happen for anyone in this world. Um, but the second one was, um, uh, it was a quote from C.S. Lewis, uh, where on the learning in the learning of wartime, um, saying like good philosophy must exist if for no other reason, because bad philosophy, uh, bad philosophy must be answered. And so I think it's good in that sense for Christians to understand and be able to put a, a defense. And even Paul, uh, sorry, Peter says always to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And so that was kind of their second point. And the third one um, was that, you know, we're commanded to love God, not within, with only our heart, soul and strength, but also with our mind. And so it's good for us to wrestle things, um, but we need to be careful that that doesn't become the basis or the way in which we interpret mm-hmm. um, the scriptures. So, yeah, I'll link that in the show notes, but I found that that was really helpful. But I think for me, I'm not I'm not against higher education. I sort of put out the um, the sort of the stats up there that in the last 20 years, um, <laughs> times by six, the amount of people that are going to college, because we do need to be equipped to, to do all the different jobs and stuff like that. So I'm not... You know, we need teachers, we need doctors, we need engineers, we need people in those kinds of roles. Um, and so I'm not razzing on doing that, um, <laughs> but I'm rather saying that that's not necessarily where we're finding wisdom. Um, that's just general life application stuff that the world can teach us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's not... Um, I mean, one of the critiques, uh, cultural critiques of Christians, right, is that we're dumb and we just have faith. And yep. so I think it's William Lane Craig who's a famous apologist, like, we're meant to love the Lord your God. With all your heart, uh, with all your heart, soul, and mind, like mm. we want, we want sharp minds. Uh, so we, yeah, we want people who know the sciences and, and maths and, and philosophy and, and history and all those areas. And yet, hopefully, when you study philosophy and you see the order of logic and and how the world works, you sort of go, wow, it points you to Christ. And when you see the science and you look deeper into creation, you go, God's amazing. And you look at history and you go, oh wow, God has a lot of wisdom that mm. you know would have helped us in a lot of historical situations if we'd listened to Him. Mm. Uh, and so yeah, we want to we want to love God with all our minds, and getting knowledge is a good thing. Um, but hopefully, it's driving us back to God over and over again, mm. rather we can get derailed uh, or we can become arrogant and puffed up mm. and think we don't need God because we have so much knowledge. So there's dangers with knowledge, but then yeah, you don't want to be. Yeah, you don't want to be anti-knowledge and oh, it's all just faith and mm. just ignore all kinds of other <laughs> yeah. other areas of knowledge. So no, yeah, get get your training, and yet hopefully it's driving you back to God yeah. the more you learn about God's world. And interestingly, some of those early fathers of science were Christians, and they were actually driven mm. in their endeavour of the scientific discovery mm. because they knew that the world had a created order, and so they were investigating God's world and um, knew that they could find order there. Um, without a God who made it, not, they're not necessarily going to be anything to discover, but, um, but indeed there is. Um, yeah, any comments, Dave? Oh, you know, I mean, the sort of classic science versus religion stuff that comes in, you know. Yeah, at, that's at another this, podcast. <laughs> at, yeah, uh, you know, Kirsten Burkett's book, Unnatural Enemies, uh, is short and just helps you understand that, you know, the sciences, so to speak, and, and religion, they're not at odds that, mm. you know, that, they're unnatural enemies, which is the title of the book, and they, they go hand in hand 
uh, and reinforce to us mm. God's behind it all. Yeah. And so I'd, I'd say, yeah, go to uni, have fun. Yeah. <laughs> and the Christian a, group. Yeah, and there was a good quote from someone at Night Church, um, which I'll read out here. They, um, from William Lawrence Bragg. It says, from religion comes a man's purpose, from science his power to achieve it. Sometimes people ask if religion and science are not opposed to one another. They are, in the sense that the thumb and fingers of my hand are opposed to one another. It is an opposition by means of which anything can be grasped. And so I think that's a good way to sort of summarise all of that, that they can work and work together well. Mm. So. And he was a pretty epic scientist. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Google him. <laughs> all right, so the next question is about discernment. Um, how can we make sure we don't mistake what someone claims to be godly wisdom for wisdom of this world and vice versa, I suppose. God, Jesus, Bible. <laughs> oh, that one again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but generally the scriptures, right? <laughs> so I want to give a, a stronger answer than that one. I do have a little bit of Job 28 here. But yeah, okay. Yeah, I was going to go to Acts, I think, 17, 10 and 11, where Paul's speaking to the Bereans and we told them they're noble because they test everything that Paul says mm-hmm. by the scriptures. And mm-hmm. so if there was one person, you know, outside of Jesus where you'd sort of just trust them blindly and just assume that what they were saying is scriptural, mm-hmm. it was Paul, you know, mm-hmm. the, the yeah. great apostle. But, yeah, no, the Bereans sat there with their scriptures open and went, is what Paul's saying line up with God's word? And if it does, then, yep, we'll we'll, we'll take it on board. And if it doesn't, then we'll, we'll toss it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's it. It doesn't matter who's preaching, no matter how wise or how impressive they sound. Scripture's open. And, uh, yeah, I think that the part of the challenge of why I think churches are struggling not to uh, sort of why we embrace culture so much is we don't know our Bibles. And so mm-hmm. we... Um, as biblical illiteracy has gone up, it's been easy for the culture to sway us in all sorts of things that mm-hmm. other generations probably wouldn't have believed because they knew their Bibles a bit more. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Scripture open, no matter who you're listening to, no matter how much you trust them or how great a godly person they are. Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's an element, though, where um, wisdom sits between uh, the the do's and the don'ts of Scripture. Mm-hmm. So Scripture is very clear on, you know, part of things where you go, you that you must do this and you must not do that. Um, you know, wisdom for me sits in the middle of those things. Uh, and so uh, where, uh, you know, what it would look like to follow Jesus might not necessarily be, uh, have that sort of clarity. And, and when it comes to guidance uh, in the scriptures outside of the, the commands, uh, you know, his guidance is more like a compass than Google Maps. Mm. Uh, it says, here's the sort of way to go as opposed to turn left at mm. President Avenue. Mm. Uh, and so when it does, and, and again, the better you know God and who he is through his word, which is why we want to go deep in the word here uh, at church, I think the more you understand and see what God's wisdom would, would sort of look like, um, you know, I mean, there's ridiculous, I can give you some ridiculous examples to sort of, you know, mm-hmm. highlight that as to sort of whether I get two pastries for lunch or one, mm. you know, there's no clear command from scripture on that. Um, but there might be a wisdom call, mm. uh, you know, that you want to make. So mm. as I said, it's a, it's a ludicrous example. Mm. <laughs> but it's helpful. And it's uh, on your mind and heart at the moment, <laughs> Dave. <so>. <laughs> Um, I think it's helpful as well because when you think about, I don't know where it's from, but the verse that in the Old Testament that says um, for the beginning, for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. 
Um, and so we want to aim to glorify God and to serve God and to honor God with everything we do, but the Bible doesn't necessarily yeah. tell us exactly what that is, but that's your starting point. Yeah. Proverbs 1 verse 7. Thank you. Um, yeah, so there you go, James, the Bible. You're right. I told you. <laughs> I don't know why we're doing 40-minute podcasts. Like we just, we've got our three-word answer for, you know, every every single question that comes through. Yeah, That's it. <laughs> All right. So God has given us this beautiful truth. And as Christians and as his people, we want to share that with the world. And we had a few questions about that coming um, out of this passage. Um, So let's talk about those things now. The question is, considering that the cross is foolishness to the world, where does apologetics and logical arguments for Christianity fit in? Anyone want to take that? Yep. Happy to. Go, Dave. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, apologetics, uh, if we want to sort of do some strict definition, mm-hmm. apolog- apologetics is not evangelism. Uh, they are different. Uh, apologetics, you know, you could talk about uh, preparing the way for evangelism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, um, you know, and I would say evangelism is just the straight preaching of the gospel. You know, Jesus died for you. He rose again. He's coming back. You need to repent. Mm-hmm. You know, apologetics is... Well, can you trust the Bible? Is Jesus actually a real person? Mm. Um, and so I think, you know, understanding the differentiation between those two things, they have a place and they're both super important, um, you know, and just a quick plug for Lot in the Life series, we do we do both. Yeah. You know, like we, we do a whole week on can you trust the Bible? Um, because it's important as they hear the gospel over the next couple of weeks, you know, we say Jesus died for you. And he rose again. You can trust those two things because you find them in the Bible, which we've already established you can trust. Mm. Um, so that they, they do go hand in hand. Mm. I think that's helpful. I think maybe to sort of use 1 Corinthians, maybe apologetics serves the role of not making the cross seem so foolish. But then you've got to do the work of, you know, preaching the gospel to make them embrace it as wisdom. So sort of, yeah, nice. you know, the cross. Yeah, it's sort of sort of that pre-work of actually, you know, Christianity isn't ridiculous and it's not just something we plucked out of thin air. Like we, yep. you know, you look at morality and you look at the beginning of the universe and you look at the historical arguments of the resurrection of Jesus and actually there's a bit of, there's a pretty logical and historical case of the Christian faith. Mm. But people can be intellectually agree with all those arguments and not be Christian. And so, yeah, yeah it, it does a good work of breaking down that barrier of Christianity is really foolish. But then you're not you're not home there. You got to sort of kick mm. on. But it's super important. If you don't break down those barriers, then the gospel's not going to get through. And know? I actually find apologetics has been really helpful in my own faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I've shared before on the podcast that I had a massive faith crisis about eleven or twelve years ago, and apologetics was my path back to Jesus. So I think that apologetics is is really important, um, both for Christians and um, for non-believers, because. Um, it can clear away those obstacles to the gospel. Um, one thing I would say if we were looking at um, this 1 Corinthians passage is the danger is to try and make yourself look good as this awesome apologist with all these great arguments. Mm. Um, that's not what we want to do. That's actually the opposite of what we want to do. We want to pave the way to Jesus, not to have people go, oh, gee, Beck's so smart. Look and look at her. She's just demolish the arguments of the opposition and all of that kind of thing. Um, it's not about being an awesome apologist. It's about sharing the, the love of Jesus with people. And that's why 1 Corinthians 3.15 says, do this with gentleness and respect. Mm. If you want to go, if you're looking for some apologetic resources, uh, I'd encourage you to go to thinkingfaith.asia. 
uh, run by a mate of mine uh, who's um, uh, who does that. And this is sort of what he does. You know, he has like sort of you know, three-minute videos just engaging on culture and doing apologetics sorts of stuff because there are plenty of people out there uh, who – who are apologists, you know, and they, they work hard in this space to help people understand the complexities that you know of questions with Christianity, um, and uh, they, so there's there's good places to go. Mm, definitely, that's a good starting point. Mm. All right, so when you put yourself out there and people know you're a Christian, this might happen. Someone has asked, "What should I do when someone insults my religion?" James, Matthew five. Verse 44. But I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your heaven and father. Oh, sorry, your father in heaven. So I think we just love them. Mm. Um, and it can, and that's not like a, just a simple, easy answer. That's what the Bible says, but we've still got to do that. And yeah. that can be really difficult um, when you feel like they're trying to rip you apart and make you look stupid. Um, and they think what you're preaching is foolish because they don't understand. Um, and so I think, you know, we just need to, to love on them let them feel their feels. And I think it's how we respond to them insulting us is really, really important. I think if mm. we can do that through love and through humility um, and really being an example of Jesus to them, I think that'll win them over than us trying to come back with counter arguments or try and fight them. Because if that's what they're trying to do and insult you, mm. um, that that's all they're trying to do. They don't care what you say. They're just trying to get a reaction out of you or try and just make you feel pretty rubbish about your belief. So mm. that would be my my thing at that. Just just listen and hear them out um, and yeah. wait for another opportunity to, to have a gospel conversation with them down the track. Let me tie this next question to that question then because it might um, – I think what you said already is helpful. Mm. How do you handle answering tricky questions from someone who seems to be just trying to stump us? I think I just answered it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's why I wanted to bring it in yeah, now. Yeah. Uh, any other comments? There's really helpful um, back-to-back verses in Proverbs because um, it is a wisdom question. Uh, yeah. So mm. back-to-back verses that seem completely contradictory. So mm. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Uh, Proverbs 26, uh, 4 is uh, do not answer a fool according to his folly, otherwise you become like him. And you go, okay, don't don't acknowledge it, just, just keep your head down. And 26.5 is do enter a fool according to his folly, <laughs> otherwise he'll think he's wise. <laughs> you go, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you got you, you, it is a wisdom call. Some people just like arguing and you're never going to achieve anything and you're going to waste your time and you're just going to get dragged onto a silly debate that achieves nothing and so just walk away. Whether other people who they might throw shade, they might throw insults, but actually they are genuinely inquisitive. And so they mm. think your view is stupid for now, but actually they're open to, you know, hearing reason. And so for that person, engage and mm. actually say, actually, oh, no, I think your your insults, you know, I've got a couple of sort of rebuttals to that and, and here's what I think. And But yeah, it's again, it's it's a wisdom call to go, yeah. is this a 26-4 person where I'm just going to get dragged into a useless argument or is this a 26-5 person that's genuinely open and we can yeah. we can both grow in knowledge and wisdom together if we if we have this little argument out so yeah it's a hard one but it's wisdom and in terms of someone who's insulting you there's heaps of testimonies where there's been a really antagonistic non-christian but the christians are very lovely and godly and um often someone the non-christian hits a hard time and it's the christian who's there to support them even though they've had shade thrown at them for years yeah. and years so your character will win you a listen over, over long term if you can bite your tongue and even yeah. if you do engage in debate do it graciously and humbly and yeah so your your character can win you uh listens to people who think your worldview is stupid yeah mm, that's really helpful okay um 
Our last question is um, something that does come up quite a lot in our podcast and it's about the problem of pain. And so the question is like this. It's getting harder and harder to be in the world but not of the world as a Christian. My main fear, speaking about the gospel, is the question that always comes up, how is God so loving when he lets all these bad things happen? These days we film everything, so every day we know all the bad things happening. I know we live in a fallen world and God loves us, but I find it hard to address this. What do you say? Go for a Beck. Oh, wow. So there's so many different ways you can address this question, and I think it really comes down to um, that discernment that we were talking about before. How do you address this with the person who's standing in front of you? Because someone might just be asking you as a, a gotcha question. If God is so powerful um, and loving, why doesn't he do something to um, address the suffering in the world? And that could be a gotcha question. And then you might go to your philosophy. Um, but then if someone is just broken before you saying, why would God let this happen to me if he's real? you probably won't go to a philosophical discussion um, first up. Um, so I think that um, it's good to um, consider that um, firstly. Um, and the other thing I would suggest is do some reading around this issue because it will come up um, and you want to be a little bit prepared for this yeah. question. Yeah. Um, in terms of what do I say, what would I say, that's actually probably changed a little bit since um, I've been through a really huge time of suffering recently, but it's similar to what I would have said before. I just say it differently and with a different viewpoint. So um, basically the I know now what it's like to truly um, worry about whether God is real. Um mm in my experience when I was in the ICU I was on a lot of drugs um, I had lots of steroids in my system I was feeling anxious I was literally hallucinating and I felt very alone and frightened and I and I was lying there unable to pray because I'm like God are you actually even there and then I thought well God and even if you're there do I even like you very much because this is horrible what I'm going through and not only that it's not just me going through horrible stuff it's all these other people going through horrible stuff mm. so I guess I've just coming coming at this question now from a more of a lived experience but what I will say the key to me not still being in that place now four months after my surgery is that while I was lying in the ICU and I was crying out to God saying why are you like this um, I came the words of Psalm 22 came into my head my God my God why have you forsaken me and I realized that Jesus himself God himself said those very same words so if nothing else even if I didn't understand why this was happening to me or suffering happens to others I know that we don't suffer alone and that God entered into that suffering and made something powerful out of Christ's suffering and likewise he will do the same for me. So that's my answer to that now and it's coming from a, a position of my lived experience but it's all from the Bible. You mm. have that story too. Jesus entered into your suffering um, to save you from a trajectory of suffering. We now have a trajectory of hope. Yeah. I, Beck, you've said it so well. Mm. Yeah, and I think you know your your lived experience, um, as unfortunate, and when you know no one wanted you to sort of walk through that, and I'm, you didn't want to walk through that. Yeah, but, not so, really. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I just think it, it, it adds a weight to, mm. to the answer. Of, well, I don't think I can add to, um, but yeah, like the 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 Romans eight idea of the, mm. the sufferings of now compared to the the glory of tomorrow. Well, not tomorrow, but heaven. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, which, which is sort of what you've testified to in terms of what we've been saved from mm. uh, is, uh, yeah, uh, 
I think, a wonderful hope for those uh, who, who are going through tough times now. Mm. And Christianity is actually the only place that has that hope. I know because mm. I've looked. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. So let's wrap things up there then um, and talk about what's happening next week on Sunday. Yeah. I'm doubling up. Hey, it's the first time I've ever preached twice in a row. So wow. It's good. Continuing through with the passage. So we're um, moving on from chapter two, heading into chapter three. Um, and so we're going to be looking at the church and its leaders. Um, Paul starts off with a pretty pretty full on uh, rebuke of the church in Corinth and where, where they're at and, and who they're following. You know, some saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. Um, and sort of unpacks a bit of, well, what, what's the foundation that you're building the church upon? Mm. And sort of brings it back to the cross, which is what we've just come and talked about um, and saying that the foundation has already been laid for no one can lay any foundation that has been laid but the one that has been laid by Jesus Christ and so we're going to explore that a little bit um, and sort of unpack what Paul's got to say about church and and leadership and a bit more wisdom so Mm. yeah watch this space great looking forward to it you should get up the front with a team James jersey on you know with your face (laughs) on it you know sort of go this is what not to do guys yeah yeah yeah. good powerful illustration there you go that's the first five minutes of your you should write a book nathan of all like these helpful tips for preachers youth budget (laughs) (laughs) all right dave you can go and get your pastries and um we'll see you all on sunday thanks for listening to this episode we'd love you to join us at kellyville anglican any sunday at 8 30 10 30 or 6 15 p.m if you can't visit us in person you can also join us online You can find out more information at www.kac.sydney. So come join us and see for yourself what is said on Sunday.